Well, how's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. Hey, a little review here. Uh, First of all, I'm loving my time with you guys, so it's really cool. uh, Not my first time to Canada, first time to Canada as an adult, so it's been a good experience thus far. The whole theme of what we're talking about is the quest, the passionate pursuit of the grand adventure of. We started in our first uh, time together. Thank you, gentlemen. Uh, we start about the quest uh, for the wisdom of God. And God's wisdom includes the pursuit of his presence and the pursuit of his principles and his purposes. Don't ever settle for one or the other. It has to be both uh, applied to our lives. And scripture says it's the wisdom of God. It's more precious than rubies, more profitable than gold. There's nothing There's nothing you can pursue that will pay a return quite like God's presence and his purposes in our lives. Last night, we talked about uh, the quest for purity and uh, the quest for purity and and the grace and truth coin. And, you know, again, if if you were here last night, you got one of these coins, stick it in your pocket, put it on your desk where you can be reminded and where we can be reminded that we are to view, uh, not only are we to walk in grace and truth, but let's make sure we are always uh, viewing other people through this lens called God's grace, and we're holding ourselves to a high standard of truth. Because the easy thing is to reverse that. The, the easy thing is to view myself through the lens of grace and always look at other people through this lens of truth. And I don't think that's what, what Christ intended uh, as we read scripture. What I want to talk about today is I want to talk about the quest for meaningful relationships. Meaningful relationships. Uh, how many of you have ever been in a relationship and it caused you uh, just great joy? Raise your hand. Raise your hand right now. Yeah. Okay, a lot of us. I'm going to put your hand down. How many of you ever been in a, if you're married, you better put your hand up. Anyway, <laughs> saw Dr. Gorvette got an elbow. Put your hand up. Not again. There it is. Follow up. How many of you ever been in a relationship and it caused great pain? Raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. Why is that? Relationships will bring you some of life's greatest joys, and relationships can also be the thing that brings us some of life's greatest pain. And sometimes it can be the exact same relationship. And you ask yourself, how could that possibly be? There's a a quest that all people are involved in, and it's the quest, I, I think, just for the sense of happiness and fulfillment, relationships play a big role. There's a guy by the name of Henry Cloud, and Henry Cloud, um, he's a Christian psychologist, um, and he's just, he's really, really smart, and you know, human nature, his secular friends would say that's the way human nature works. Henry, being a Christian, would say, no, that's the way it works because that's the way God designed us. And he did a a book a few years ago called The Law of Happiness or The Keys to Happiness. And I want to just share with you briefly some of the findings. Of all people. Henry said 10% 10 of what makes people happy is due to your circumstances. 40% is how you're hardwired or your DNA, your natural disposition, 50% is things that are under your control. Now, the interesting thing in life is of all these categories here, most people will spend their entire adult lives chasing this 10%. 
The 10% is, you know, uh, man, if I just had a new car, I would be happy in life. And studies have actually shown when you receive whatever it is that you long for from a material possession, it does boost your happiness uh, for about 30 days. But listen, you always go back to your baseline. Uh, I loved hearing the gals who shared last night who went to, uh, I think it was Malawi, was it Malawi? Uh, sharing about sometimes we have to put ourselves into a different context and a different culture for our eyes and our hearts to be truly opened to what is it that we were truly uh, feeding our soul to try to find that place of joy and happiness. And if we're honest, probably a lot of us struggle with materialism. We don't like to admit it, but, but we do. And man, if I just had that new outfit, if I just had that new car, if, you know, if I could just lose 20 pounds, if I could just you know, have a boyfriend or a girlfriend or whatever, then my life would be complete. And study after study has proven, yeah, you'll get a boost in happiness uh, for about 30 days and I'll go right back where, where it came from. 40%, it, 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 it's uh, blame or thank your parents. There is a natural disposition. There's a natural disposition to your, your optimism and your, your attitude and your approach to life. But here's the great news. 50% of it is things we control. We have the ability. It's the thoughts that we think. It's the choices that we make, the relationships we engage upon that really has that whole sense of joy and fulfillment in life and meaningful relationships is a huge part of that. Why? Because that's how God made us. And you guys know this, but you are formed for meaningful relationship. You are formed for relationship with God as our creator and you are formed for relationships with one another as well. Let me illustrate how a lot of relationships form. Uh, a lot of relationships form, you know, here's a guy over here, uh, here's another guy over here. And when you first meet someone, what you're trying to establish is, is there any connection? In other words, is there any common ground that we share? If there's no common ground, if there's no common interest, this relationship is gonna have a hard time forming at a deep, deep level. You know, in dating relationships, it can often be, wow, she's hot, wow, he's good looking. Ooh, that's our relationship. It's built on, you know, lust, I mean, love at first sight. You know, and it's, we, we're attracted, we're drawn together. The common ground would be mutual attraction. But if the, the relationship does not grow to something more significant than mutual attraction, that's called a very shallow relationship. Hey, what's our relationship? We both like fantasy football or fantasy hockey. What favorite team? All right, that's cool and all. But if the relationship does not grow, that's called a shallow, superficial relationship. So what is scripture? How does scripture describe how we relate to one another? Uh, listen as I read from Colossians chapter 3, uh, verse 12 through 14. Scripture says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved... Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievance you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Clothe yourself with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. 
Let me ask you a question. When it says clothe yourselves with those things, a lot of times if we see someone and we're identifying who they are, we'll say like, who is it? Well, it's, it's the guy wearing you know, the plaid shirt. You know, it's the, the, the guy wearing the hoodie. It's the girl wearing the scarf. Clothing oftentimes is an identifying characteristic if you don't really know the person. If you're trying to describe someone you really don't know, you will always begin by describing them based upon that which you see. Does that make sense? And what scripture says is we are to clothe ourselves. That is the outward adornment. That is the first thing that what? That other people see when they see us. And the, the simple question I'd ask is, are those character, would those characteristics be great descriptors of your life and you as a person? And there's, there's various levels to this as well because I think it's easy on occasion to see someone you don't really know and we all draw a conclusion as to the type of person they are. I was talking to a friend recently, and maybe you've had this as well, but there are times you hear of someone or you know someone from a distance and you form an opinion about who they are. Then sometimes the more you get to know them, that, that opinion is either enhanced or you say, boy, that's not who they are at all. Why? Because I actually got to know them a little bit more. What scripture calls us to do is to, is to become a people who are known as compassionate. Hey, do you know so-and-so? Yeah, they're the most generous, compassionate person you'll ever encounter. It's just who they are. That is their nature. It's not just like a shirt they put on, oh, I'm going to be compassionate today, and they put that on. No, it's actually become the nature of the type of a person that they're becoming in life. Scripture says that we're to bear with one another, to forgive one another, and to bind all of this together in this simple thing called God's love, perfect unity. Now, I brought a couple of things today. Actually, I didn't bring them. Elizabeth prepared them for me, so thank you, Elizabeth. But I brought uh, a couple of jars here. Uh, one is grapes, and the other one is full of marbles. And the question I would ask, in relationships, do you find yourself to be more like a grape or more like a marble? And, and here's what I mean by that. There's a lot of people who go through life as a marble, Going through life as a marble, look at this thing. They're, they're stacked one against another. They're shoulder to shoulder. But they're completely individualized. They're completely isolated. In other words, you can stick your hand down in here and you can squeeze it together. You can do everything you want to do, but there's, there, there's no meshing of one marble to another. They, they will always remain completely individual. And that's how some people, unfortunately, go through life. You can sit in a chapel service, shoulder to shoulder with other people, and you are still completely alone. You're not meshing. You're not coming together. There's no mutual sharing of relationship. It is possible to be in a crowded room full of people, and people say, man, I'm all alone in this place. And the outward perspective would say, well, how could that possibly be? Look around. There's people all over here. Yes, there's people all over here, but I'm not connecting in meaningful relationships, so I feel as if I'm alone. When scripture says that we're to bear with one another, uh, it's, it's more on this side of it over here, uh, and it's the grapes. When you come together with one another and you bear with one another, there's, there's, 
There, there's, a, there's a juice that, that pours out. There's, there's a meshing together. Uh, it's the, the whole aspect of, you know, there's times that you bear with one another. You love one another. You serve one another. It, it, it's a giving and a taking. It's a laying down my will for your will. It's I'm not just here for myself. I, I'm here for you as one another. And what the scripture says is that when we do that, it's the what? It's the love of Christ that binds everything together and there's a juice that begins to form and it's a beautiful flavor that just, we're all individuals, but when you come together in Christ, Jesus Christ is our common ground. It doesn't even matter what country you're in. I've been in countries, I could not even speak the language that they speak, but there is a commonality. We both love Jesus and we know that and that bonds us to one another. You have things of this earth that bring us together. It's just common interests, similar personalities, similar hearts, similar minds. But scripture says it's, it's, it's Christ. Christ, when Christ is the forefront of our lives, he is the one that allows us and compels us to come together in this, in this sense. You know, when you think about the whole aspect of going deeper, I really believe there are two things. There are two things that bring people together. One is a common vision. Vision will bring people together. I've always said nothing attracts people and nothing repels people like a clear vision for the future. A clear vision. When, when, when there's a vision for the future and your heart resonates within it, it's just, it's like a magnetic draw. It just, ooh, I want to be a part of that. Yes, I feel called. I feel compelled to that. The other thing that draws people together is this one-to-one -one relationship. But uh, let's go back to the marble and the grape here. What is it that causes people to remain a marble when they were formed and designed to be a grape? I'll tell you what I think part of it is, it's when you've been burned in a relationship. It's when you actually did trust somebody and you did love somebody and they abused that trust and they abused that love and you got hurt. And it hurt so deeply, you said to yourself, well, I'm gonna continue to go through life, but what I've learned is I can't trust other people. I'm gonna continue to go through life, but what I've learned is it's not, it's not worth it to actually share a dream that since God may have placed on my life because others are gonna ridicule it, others are gonna make fun of it. So what we do is we begin to keep all these things to ourselves. And I say, I'm not gonna share what God's birthed deep within me. I'm not gonna give other people an opportunity to, to join a team. Uh, I'm, I'm not gonna trust others when I struggle because I did that once, man, it didn't work out. I feel like I, I was worse you know, when I ended than when I started. And, and some people, just because they get burned in life, they, the easy thing is to become a marble and say, you know, I kinda trust God, but I don't even know about that. I certainly am not gonna trust any of the rest of you because it's just easier. I won't be bruised. If I'm a grape, that means I'm gonna be bruised on occasion. If I'm gonna actually enter into a true meaningful relationship, that means I'm gonna be okay, but it's gonna mean you're gonna struggle on occasion and I'm gonna enter into that struggle with you because I love you and I care for you and it's gonna be taxing, and it's gonna be exhausting. It's easier to go through life as a marvel. But I will tell you right now, it's the most lonely way to live your life. It's not God's plan to live your life. God says we're to bear with one another. It's the love of Christ that just permeates. It just permeates who you are and what you do. You know, in 
time after time of secular studies, and this is fascinating to me. I love psychology. Secular studies always prove biblical truth. The secular historian, the secular scholar will say, because that's human nature. What the believer will say, it's human nature because God, as the master designer and the master maker, he made it work that way. God is the author of life, amen? Therefore, it will always work best when we do it according to his plan. Secular sales study after sales study, you know who always proves to, to play out better? Individuals or teams. Teams will always produce more than individuals. Why? There's encouragement from one another. There's, there's the sense of problem solving, brainstorming. I'm not out there by myself. I, I'm doing it in cooperation with other people. In Romans chapter 12, verse 15 to 16, the author of life in scripture would say, be happy with those who are happy. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't, please do not think you know it all. Ecclesiastes says if someone falls and there's no one there to help them up, man, we pity that individual. Choosing to go through life as a marble, it is a choice. It's your choice. And scripture says repeatedly, time after time after time, that's not a good choice. That is a damaging and an isolating, hindering choice to go through life by yourself. So how is it that you form this thing called true connectedness relationally in life? Uh, one thing that's always required is you have to be intentional. Great, meaningful relationships do not form by accident, excitement, or osmosis. You work at it. Uh, I said a while ago, I think it was here, but you and the person you become will be the biggest project you'll ever undertake in life. How you work on developing yourself is way bigger than any church you'll lead or any ministry you'll lead. It's the person that you become. I'm telling you, the second biggest project you'll ever undertake in life are the relationships that you form. And the first part is your relationship to Christ. The second part is your relationships with one another. You know, we talked a little bit about marriage and intimacy uh, last night. Let me tell you, if great, strong Christian marriages were easy, everybody in Canada would have one. But guess what? They don't. Why? It takes hard work. It's really hard work. You invest in it. If meaningful relationships and friendships were easy... Everybody would have a best friend and someone you could really rely upon and trust upon. If ministry teams were easy to form relationships, every church, every ministry, man, they'd love each other, they'd support each other, they'd forgive each other, they'd bear with each other. It's hard work. You have to be intentional. And personalities play a, play a role in this mix. There's no shortcut for the investment of time. If you are desiring to build meaningful relationships, you must invest yourself and your time into that relationship. I don't know how else they form. On, for years, well, every Tuesday, I have what's called a worship planning team uh, back home. And um, there's a number of people there. We used to meet at a Panera Bread, kind of had a little side room. We'd meet and all of our worship leaders on staff, uh, different people. And it's interesting, if you go to a restaurant, go to Panera Bread, Tim Hortons, you know, Starbucks, McDonald's, whatever, if you go there on a regular basis, uh, we began to notice there were other regular people, no, mostly retirees, who would be there at the same time, Tuesday about 
And there's one particular couple that we began to notice that was just fascinating to me. Uh, you could tell they were recent, they appeared to be recently retired. Um, at least I think they're retired because they weren't at work, you know. But And this husband and wife would walk in. They'd order the same thing. You know, he'd get coffee and oatmeal. She'd get bagel and a coffee. They would sit at this booth. They'd sit in the same booth every Tuesday. And they'd both flip out their iPads and they would read, and I'm telling you, this couple did not speak one word to each other. And one day, I just got the giggles just watching them. I was like, this is fascinating. This couple, they're like my teenage boys. They don't talk. They, all they do is text and, you know, look at Facebook, Twitter, you know, read the news, whatever it is. And I thought to myself, I have no idea what the true dynamics of that relationship is, but just being in proximity to one another does not mean you're in relationship to one another. Does that make sense? You have to engage. The world will define relationship based upon proximity. But proximity does not mean that you are biblically engaging and relating to one another. Uh, Biblically, it's all about forgiving, bearing, investing, loving, and it's this love of Christ that just flows down and it just filters through uh, everything in us and everything in that relationship. Henry Cloud has a section in that book that I mentioned earlier about the fact that if you are going to be in relationships... I mean, the, the reality is you are going to get hurt. I mean, I just wish I didn't have to tell you that, but, but it is. And, and the funny thing is, it's, it's, it's when Christians even hurt other Christians. It, it's due to oftentimes a miss, poor lack of communication. Uh, it, it's a sense of we weren't relating, you know, to one another at a heart level or, or a, a, a mind, idea, vision level the right way. Or sometimes it's just Christians, we just, we say dumb things. We do things that we shouldn't do. So how do you help navigate when you've been hurt? How do you help navigate the relationship where we're called to bear with one another and to, and to be there with one another, but, but not always end up jeopardizing our own health and our own ability? Uh, let me share one thing. There's a, in relationships, there's a huge difference between loving someone and trusting someone. We are called to love all people. I love people, but I don't trust all people. Does that make sense? Trust is something you earn. Trust is not just given because, oh, I just met you. Okay, I trust you. Hey, here you go. You know, this, this, that, and the other. Especially when someone does something or someone says something that hurts the relationship. It, it, it's something that is against me. It's something that is against, that is against God's call to us. We are called in Scripture to forgive them. If you're going to be an obedient Christian, that's not your choice. It's called an unconscious act of your will, and it's I choose to forgive you. But just because I choose to forgive you, that does not mean that I trust you. When my kids do things, and, and it's against the boundary lines or the rules that I have established as their dad, I, there's nothing my kids will ever do. There's nothing they can do that would ever cause me to not love them. And I've, and I've shared that with them on occasions. We've had to have certain talks in those formative growing up years. But there have also been times when I said, and I'm telling you that I love you, but I'm also going to tell you I don't trust you at all right now. Now, 
through the consistent living of your life over a period of time, you might be able to re-earn or regain that trust. But for this season, this is how I'm going to treat you because I love you so much. Uh, go back, what does scripture say? Scripture says God disciplines whom? Those whom he loves. Why? Because it's for our best. It's for our good. He's forming us and he's allowing us to come into relationship with other people. A lot of times I find people confused that, oh man, I thought you loved me. No, I do love you, but I still don't trust you. That's something you're going to have to work on, something we will have to work on together. You know, there's no such thing as a controlling person. I've had to grow to realize this. Well, you've all heard the deal. You can never control another person's thoughts, another person's actions, or what another person says. The only thing you control is your response to that. And we all have different trigger points where we struggle in life. We all have different trigger points. And a lot of times when you're in ministry, I'm telling you the trigger point's gonna be a relationship. It's some breakdown in a human relationship. Hey, if being a Christian was just about loving uh, God, that, that's awesome. Why? He's perfect in every way. It's people that mess this thing up and make life challenging on occasion. And if you haven't experienced that yet, I promise you, you're going to experience it when you actually get into a church and, and are doing ministry. A controlling person is someone who behaves in such a way that it elicits a certain response or a fear in me. Henry Cloud would say, the only person who can control that's me. And it's controlled by setting up healthy boundaries in my relationships. How do you relate well to other people and bear with compassion and forgiveness and, and, and clothe yourself with humility and all the rest? Number one relationship you have got to keep on the front burner is your relationship to Jesus Christ. If you are not abiding in the vine on a consistent, regular basis, you will never be able to relate to others the way God intended us to. One of the greatest temptations of life is to get busy. And you're gonna get busy doing good stuff, doing God's work, and the busier you get, the, the, the easier it becomes to kind of begin to shortchange this relationship this way. I'm telling you, the only way you can have a healthy marriage, the only way you can have you know, good, meaningful friends, not superficial friends, but, but the sense of really connecting with one another is when you are connecting to Christ on a daily, consistent, regular basis. You will never be the leader. You will never be the worship leader. You will never be the counselor. You will never be the man or the woman that God longs for you to be this way until you're working on, on a regular basis to become that person this way right here. And because of that, you have to put healthy boundaries in place. But build those practices in, in right now. What are those boundaries that you say, this, this time right here is non-touchable? I have an appointment in my outlook. I have an appointment in my calendar book. This is reserved for myself and the Lord. It's healthy boundaries. And, you know, Proverbs 22, 5 says, The path of the wicked lie thorns and snares, but he who guards his soul stays far from them. Boundaries are guardrails. Boundaries in life are guardrails to nurture your soul and to nurture relationships. When I say a boundary, the question I would ask is this. Do you think of a boundary as a positive thing or a negative thing? Go back to when God gave the Ten Commandments. God gave the Ten Commandments. Basically, God was saying, I'm going to put a boundary 
And I'm going to put a fence up. And these are called my commands. These are called my laws. And what God said is, I want to bless you. And if you want me to bless you, then you need to live inside this, this fence of favor. Sometimes people hear that there's a fence or a boundary and they think that it's keeping them from all the fun stuff out there in the world. It's keeping them from chasing the 10%, keeping them from all the, all the things that would make me happy. God loves us so much. He says, no, I know what will nourish your soul. I know what will satisfy you to the very core of your being. And because of that, I'm giving you my laws, my decrees, my principles, and my purposes. Live your life inside the boundary line. Because that's where the action truly lies. I'm telling you, I've talked to so many people through my years of being a pastor, some who grew up in church, others who didn't grow up in church. And when I talk to them, do you know what their story is? It's a modern day Solomon story. Who is Solomon? He's known as one of the wisest guys who ever you know, walked the face of the earth. But what does he say early on? He says, there's a season I tried to cheer myself with wine. I tried to cheer myself and make myself happy by building big projects. I had a home on every continent and every country. I built big bridges. Uh, you know, I, I just, he goes, I denied, think about this, guys. He goes, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. He was never told no. And he says, after I've lived my life for a season, he says, you know what I got as the end result of all that? It's meaningless. It didn't do for me what I thought it would do. Every time I got the new house, every time I got the new car, every time I got the new piece of jewelry, every time I got the new, whatever I thought that was going to make me just truly be fulfilled in life, at the end of the day, when I look back upon it, it's very, very empty. Actually, it's weird because I'm even more empty and I'm more hungry and I'm more longing, longing at the end of this journey than I was when I started the journey. Why? Because I've tried everything this world has to offer and nothing satisfies my soul. Why is that? Because God designed us to be fueled in life through relationships. You're not fueled through accomplishment. You're not fueled through how big is your church going to get. You're not fueled through building programs. You're not fueled through, through money. It's just, it, that is impossible. Why? Because God didn't design us that way. God designed us to be nurtured and to be satisfied at the very core of our hearts when we're in right relationships with God and with other people. But I'm telling you, what shortchanges that so often is when we've been hurt. And we say to ourselves, I'm not going to do that again. It was too painful. If I remain a marble, look, it's not messy whatsoever. I could stick my hand in this jar of marbles all day. I'm not going to get messy whatsoever. I've stuck my hand down in here a few times, and this, this whole sense of meshing and, and loving and prevailing and coming alongside one another, guess what? It, it, it's messy on occasion. And if you're going to truly invest yourself in relationships, it, it is going to get messy. But the thing that's supposed to permeate everything according to scriptures, what? It's this thing called the love of Christ. And the more, I don't know if you can see that, but the more you mesh and you bind, the, the juice begins to rise. 
the only way, this Jews, if that represents the presence and, and the love of Christ, which just binds everything together, you have to get down in there, in the trench, with people that you love, that you care for, and you have to be willing to say, not my will, your will be done in this relationship right here. I choose to forgive. God, I've been hurt. I choose to allow you. I'm opening up that hurting place for you to heal because, God, you know I can't do it. So would you do a work that only you can do? What's the response? I think one of the best theological questions of all time is, so what? All right, so we've talked about all this stuff. So what are you going to actually do? Because there's a huge difference between listening to the word and being an actual doer of the word. How does this actually integrate into your life? And, and, and I think there's a couple possible responses. Let me just throw a couple out here, and then I'm going to let you kind of bow your heads. I'm going to pray for us as we continue. But, but here's the one response. Are you more like the marble or more like the grape as we sit here this morning? Not what do other people perceive you to be. What are you truly? And maybe some of you are actually outwardly gregarious, you know, personable people. But the truth be known, you're really, really guarded on the inside. And you don't allow people to come in because you've been hurt in the past. Maybe today would be a day that just it's another step where you'd say, Lord, I, that is kind of me, I guess. And there's some unresolved or there's some buried hurt I've kind of pushed down or I've thrown to the back hoping it would go away but it obviously hasn't so Lord I'm going to trust you you're the only person I can think of I would trust to take that woundedness and for you to begin to do your your healing cleansing work Uh, here's another possible response question I would just ask is this how would other people who don't know you that well how do you think they would actually describe you what clothing would they describe if they were to describe your personality? Would they say, man, they are a humble, sincere, gentle, compassionate individual? That's one of the things I've had to work on. Why? Because I, I don't know how else to describe it. I just feel like God gave me like a gift of sarcasm and quick wit. And I used to think it was funny. But as I, the longer I lived, I realized I think it's funny, but other people don't think it's funny. And if I truly am desiring and longing to be a representative of Christ, then I have to change that. Why? Because that's not who I want to be known by. Does that make sense? So I would just ask you the second question, those who don't know you that well, would they describe you uh, according to Colossians chapter 3? And here's the, here's the best question, I think. The people who know you the best, would they describe you that way as well? I heard John Maxwell once give an illustration of true success, and it was this. The people who know you the best are the ones who love you the most. Think about that. It's easy to be lovely to people who don't know you all that well. But when you enter into the pit called the relationship of life at the deepest, most vulnerable place in life, do the people who know you the best respect you and love you the most. Uh, the last question I'd just ask you to think about a little bit is do you have healthy boundaries 
and I'm not talking about the content of last night. Do you have healthy boundaries in your life and in your relationships to ensure that you are working on this relationship right here as best you can so that you can permeate every relationship this way? Not just as iron sharpening iron that you can become the best person you can become, but so that you might be the best witness and ambassador for Christ that he longs for you to become as well. I just want you to bow your heads. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we uh, just kind of wrap up our time talking today about just a really interesting part of life, relationships. Lord, relationships do bring us some of life's greatest joys and they do also bring us some of life's greatest pain. And Father, I just pray right now, especially for those that... uh, Maybe they really realize they are going through life way more like a marble than a grape because it's cleaner, it's simpler, uh, and the truth be known, it's, it's, just, it's just not messy. But we also realize it's not the way you design us to live life. Lord, for those of us who uh, maybe in some honest reflection and inventory would also realize possibly we're not... Um, reflecting your humility and your compassion and your love the way we would like to, the way you would call us to. Lord, help us to be mindful of everything we do in relationships that it represents you. We learn to grow what it means to distinguish the difference between love and forgiveness and trust and to really invest ourselves in every way we need to to uh, to become the people you would want us to become here on earth just as you see fit in heaven. Speak to us and give us courage to follow through in whatever it is you might have to share. Dear name I pray. Amen.